Let's give her a hand one more time. Um, does this work? Okay. Um, I've been saved since January, and I must say it's been the hardest thing I ever had to do. Um, I grew up in a Baptist home. Um, most of the people in my family, they, they would claim that they were godly but wouldn't show it. So it kind of made me feel feel confused about situations. Um, my mom, she was a teen mom. She had me when she was 17. And my dad, he was a, um, he was a gang member. I lost him at the age of two. Um, my mom, she would sell drugs just to take care of me, me and my sisters. So it kind of made me look at life differently. Like I had to work for everything. I never would pray for anything. So when I came to uh, Metro, I was so broken. Like I, I was confused, I was broken. I didn't know what my future would be like. Um, I, it felt like I was living day by day. Like I just woke up the next morning. It was like, um, okay, how am I gonna survive today? Um, yeah, um, but since I came and since I started building a relationship with God, I must say that things became different for me. I became a different person. I no longer worry anymore. Um, I don't really know what my future holds, but I do know that if I keep following Christ, I will know. So that's what keeps me coming every day. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in that future. Then you will come, then you will call on me, and I will come and pray to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me and find me with all your heart, I will be, I will be found, declare the Lord. bless this service, God. Yeah. I ask you to um, allow everyone to have an open heart to the word today, God. I ask that, um, that, um, that you change, change um, that you help people who, who, um, who feel like that they have uh, no purpose, God. I pray, pray that you um, that you just um, fill the room today, God, and bless everybody in it. Love you. <laughs> Amen. Come on, give the Lord some praise in this place. Just lift up your hands right now and just praise him. Say, thank you, Lord. You know the plans you have for me. Plans to prosper me, not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. Come on, just praise him and thank him. Hallelujah. never leave me, Lord. You'll never forsake me, God. You are with me. You are with me, Holy Spirit. You are here in this place. Come on.
on, church. Praise him. ready to scream and shout and dance in this place. Because you are good, you are good to me. 
and I'll sing because you are good and I'll dance because you are good and I'll shout because you are good you are good and I'll sing and I'll sing because you are good and I'll dance because you are good and I'll shout because you are good you are good to me and I'll sing All right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do what this song says to do. Because this is not just a song where we're just singing. These are pretty much more or less instructions. All right? They're instructions. Say instructions. So get up off your seat. Come over here. There you go. Look at this guy. He's ready. Who else is ready? Come on. Come on. Don't just look around. Come over here. We're going to sing. We're going to dance. We're going to shout. All right, we'll wait. Come on, clap as you walk down here. Come on. Bring the children. Come on, bring the children over here. The children will teach us how to do it. Come on, kids. <laughs> wait. God is so good. He's worthy of your praise. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to dance. We're going to shout because he's been good. Has he been good to you? I said, has he been good to you? Shout amen. Shout amen. Hallelujah. One, two. And I sing because you are good and I dance because you are good and I shout because you are good, you are good. Come on, kids. And I sing because you are good and I dance because you are good and I shout because you are good, you are good to me. And I sing because you are good and I dance because you are good and I shout you are good, you are good to me, and I'll sing because you are good, and I'll dance because you are good, and I'll shout because you are good, you are good. All right, last time, this is your shot, and I'll sing. And I'll sing because you are good, and I'll dance because you are good, and I'll shout. And I'll sing because you are good, and I'll dance because you are good, and I'll shout because you are good, you are good. Lift up a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah, Lord. We worship you, God. Exalt your mighty name because you are good. Because you are good, Lord. Because you are good. Come on, just lift up your hands. Say, you are good to me. You are good to me. You are good, Lord. And I'll sing because you are good. And I'll dance because... You are good, and I'll shout because you are good. 
There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're a living hope. Your presence I've tasted and seen Of the sweetest of love Where my heart becomes clean And my shame is up Lift up your hands, say, there's nothing worth more. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love, where my heart becomes free and my shame is done. How many are thankful today that your shame isn't done? Your presence,
Let's sing that again. I've tasted and I've seen. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free. Who's free this morning? It's your presence. Come on, church. Let's give room for the Holy Ghost to speak today. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, let's speak in tongues today, right now. Holy Spirit, speak to your church.
Thank you, Lord. I believe that's a word for some of us here today. He was a husband to you. He was a father to you, and you've gone astray. You've left the way. His love is beckoning you to come back right now. Come back to him. Come back. Just say, lift up your hands and say, Lord, I'm coming back. Lord, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to you, God. Come on, we have time for one more word. the saints.
from your heart. of Nazareth. I pray that in our lips we will always proclaim it. We will always say it with faith and courage and boldness Lord God. Knowing God that when your people speak your name God there is change. There is change. God wants to change your life. When you speak his name he will come and change your life. Let's give him a praise right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, let's give God a praise. If we can all please stand. We want to give some time uh, right now to, um, to for prayer, specific prayer. So for those that are here nearby, you guys can just scoot back a little bit. I'm Pastor Berto here, campus pastor of MPI. I guess we can stay standing. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, you can put it back over there. Put it back over there. Amen. You all may be seated. Let's have all of our children come forward. We're going to pray for students and teachers right now. Thank you for coming. Students, come on up here. 
We're going to pray for all those going to school. Band, you guys can be seated. Would you stay up there, though, Vinny? Thank you. Guys, we want to pray for you. Is that okay? Can we pray for you? Is anybody paying attention? Can I pray for you? Okay, so we're getting all the little ones up here. Now I'm going to call up all the high schoolers. Would you guys come up as well? And then college students. We're going to pray for all of our students today. So have them come up here. And then high school and college stand behind them. We just want to pray for you guys. Can I pray for you? Uh, yes. Awesome. <laughs> You know, I really love seeing all these students. Guys, kind of pile up around here. I've got some of the cool guys in the back right here. We're going to do teachers next. Yeah, so teachers, you grab a seat. We're praying for your students right now. SUM students, we're going to also pray again for you guys next week, but I'm glad you stood up because you are students. I'm looking around. we got some college students. What college are you going to? Are you in high school? college. That's what I thought. Which one? North Park. Let's give it up for North Park. Uh, Demetria, what, what college are you going to? Harold Washington? Okay. Is, that, is it Harold Washington? I can barely hear. Can you turn it down just a little bit? Okay. Let's give it up for Harold Washington. Any other colleges? Any other? Are you in high school? Which one? Wright College? Come on. Jaylene, what school are you going to go to? Triton, yeah. Are you in college now? Right, too? Let's give it up for right. Amen. Well, we love our college students. Are you in school, college yet or just high school? Which high school? Wickelvick? Okay, it's not helping with all you guys saying it. Come closer. Rickover. Why am I still not understanding that word? It sounds like Rickover. There's a school called Rickover. When did this become a school? Rickover. Is that somebody's last name, Rickover? Has anybody else in the audience heard of Rickover? Okay, I guess I'm the odd one out. We're going to pray for all these students. Some of these young people, do you know the name of your school? Do you know the school you're going to go to? Okay, do you, do you, She's nervous. Do you come here? Do you know the school you're going to go? <laughs> Do you know the school? Yeah, you better know. What school are you going to go to? <laughs> are you nervous? Who knows? Do you know the school you're going to go to? First grade. Oh, she's going to go to first grade. Do you know the school you're going to go to? Okay, come on. Tell Faulkner Elementary. All right, let's give it up. Do you know your school? You do? What school are you going to go to? Skyline Mercury School. Yeah! <laughs> okay, let's all close our eyes, everybody. All the young people, close their eyes. All the people in the back, stretch your hands towards these wonderful students. All you children, close your eyes like pastor right now. Close your eyes and let's pray for them. Father, we thank you for these children. We thank you for these teenagers, these adults whether they're going into first grade or college, God, whatever you've put on their heart to do this year, I pray they do it with all their might. 
I pray that there will be a blessing to their teachers and to their classes, that they will shine like a bright light for you, and that, Lord, you'll keep them safe and help everyone to achieve the goals and dreams you have set for them in their life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? And everybody said? Amen. Let's give it up for our young people. Okay, children, you are dismissed. Teenagers and college students, you guys can grab a seat. Now we're going to ask that our teachers would come. Are you ready, teacher? Okay, now do you know the school you work at? Okay. As we're waiting for some of the other teachers, come and tell us about your school and your class, and we'll know how to pray for you. I teach a drum in Montessori school. It's a Chicago public school. And I teach early childhood, three, four, and five-year-old boys and girls. Awesome. This is Julie, by the way. This is her son, Jose. Jose's teacher as well. Should I, I think I'm going to second grade. Okay. Now, I teach at Cameron Elementary. Um, I'm the PE teacher from K to eighth grade. Awesome, Jose. Then his wife works at a Christian school. Oh, and by the way, we want to pray for homeschooling moms, too. So if you're a homeschooling mom, you got to come. I'll be homeschooling this year. But um, you, normally during the school year, I work at a Christian school, and this year we're going to be homeschooling, and every year there are fourth. So amen. amen. So the Christian school is Midwest. Midwestern Christian Academy. It's located on Cicero and Addison. So they have a great Christian program there. My name is Andrea. I teach fourth grade at Lowell. It's a CPS school by Humboldt Park. Hi, I'm Deanna, and this is loud. I'm a teacher's assistant for special ed children, and I'm a substitute. I'm a substitute. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. My name is Nancy, and I will be homeschooling this year. My oldest will be starting kindergarten, and then one in pre-K-4 and one in pre-K-2. I'm Robin, and I will be homeschooling at Grace Academy. That's the name of your school is Grace Academy? I love it. Here's another homeschooling mom. Give it up for Lauren. Do we have a name for our school? Ours is called Fire of God Academy. My name is Lauren, and I'll be homeschooling. I don't have a name yet. Okay. Once you guys just face me, let's just close our eyes, teachers. Uh, congregation, stretch your hands towards them. We're just going to lift them up in prayer. Father, I thank you for every teacher here. Thank you for every school that they represent, every classroom that they'll be in, Lord, every life that they'll touch. We pray that you'll give them wisdom, Lord, that they will have knowledge and understanding and make it applicable to students' lives. We pray, God, for their strength, Lord, as they work harder than any of us could ever imagine, that you would encourage them, that you would empower them to succeed. And, Lord, I pray that this school year, that their school as a whole will succeed and that there will be a blessing upon them and that the people will know it's because of prayers like this that the school is different that the, uh, the community is different because, Lord, they care about students and they place them in your hands. And, Lord, we lift up our city and for safety for everyone going to school this year. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Let's bless the Lord. Come on. Now, what I want to do, I, no, 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 no. I want our congregation to stand up. 
Put on some happy music, and I want you to come and greet our teachers. Even if these aren't your teachers, I want you to tell them how much you appreciate them. Okay? So put on some happy music, stand back, and make your way up here for a shake and greet line. Do it. Come and tell them how much you appreciate them. Maybe homeschool moms, you could just appreciate these teachers too. There you go. We really love our public school teachers here. Thank you. We love our teachers. A little bit, a little bit louder. Just a smidgen. Thank you. We love our teachers. We just want to love on them. All right, just a few more moments. Then we're going to have Pastor Berto preach to us. We love our teachers. There's another homeschooler teacher up there. She's the veteran, Kirsten. The veteran. <laughs> oh, what a good Sunday. What a good Sunday. You glad to be in church? Yes. What's it? I am. But I'm not teaching this. All right, let's grab a seat. Grab a seat. Thank you, teachers, for letting us love on you, wanting to share how much you mean to us. If you didn't get a chance to shake their hand, you can do so after service. They're not going anywhere. You can just shake my hand, yes. There you go. Pastor Berto is going to share with us the gospel. Would you put up that scripture, please? We want to make a habit every week. Turn with us to Isaiah 55 as Pastor Berto presents the gospel. Thank you, Pastor Joe. Hey, Amen. I'm campus pastor here, Pastor Berto. Every uh, Sunday, like Pastor Joe said, we want to bring forth the message of salvation for those that are here and not saved. And for those that are watching via webcam, this message is for you. Isaiah 55, verses 6 to 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked 
forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. If you are in here or you're watching via webcam and you sinning without remorse and you're lying and you're stealing and you know the sin there's a whole wide chunk of them there's no conviction within your heart you should be afraid you should be afraid that there's no conviction when you do wrong because that's not in a good place to be in this morning I, I want to you know read this verse to you to let you know that today is a day of salvation today you can seek the Lord you can find him He's beckoning you this morning to come to him, to get rid of your sin, to repent, to get rid of those, those unrighteous thoughts. And you know what he will do? He will have mercy. He will pardon your sin. He will forgive you. When you look to what Jesus did on the cross, he was crucified. He was nailed. He was taking a punishment that you and I all deserve because of our sin. And he's asking today to come. To come, whether at one point you, whether you're thinking like, hey, you know why? I'm not worthy to be forgiven by God. I've done so wrong, and I've like, tried this before. And But let me tell you, God is the forgiving God. He's full of mercy and grace. You know, he, he, wants, to bring, he wants to bring you back to him. You know, um, I, I'm reminded of Jesus speaking about a, the prodigal son. And when, he's, when the son, when he came to his senses, the child, okay, this, this, this man, this, you know, there was two brothers, and there was a father that owned two estates, and one of them just ran away. He's like, Lord, give me, I mean, Father, give me my estates. He took off, and he did it simple. He did all the horrible things he could do. And he came back to, to his father. He says, it says the scripture, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of, of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher servants. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called. But the father said to his servant, quickly, bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calves and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. If that's you, you have at one point walk with God, you know, and then you left him. And God's saying, hey, you can just come back. You can just come. He will receive you. He will pardon your sins. We acknowledge that you've done wrong. You come to your senses. Come to your senses this morning. Seek the Lord while he might be found so you can be pardoned from your sins through the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's please stand. And uh, let's just close our eyes. I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for all those that are unsaved, Lord. Those that have been running from you. Those that at one point were with you and then trying to push you away. Because they've gone to a place where they're, where they're just wanting to seek the pleasures of this world. Where they just want to, you know, be part of this world. But you said, Jesus, what? What is worthy for a man to lose his soul and gain the world? 
So, Father, I just pray for there to be freedom this morning in Jesus' name. That you just break freedom in, their, in these people's lives, God. They are not with you, Lord God. Because you want to draw them back to you, Father. So I pray for true conviction in the heart of, of, of unsavers, unsaved people. God, that you will draw them back to you, Lord God. That you're just looking to receive them with arms wide open and just embrace them, Father. So, Lord God, right now, just pour your freedom over them, God. Pour your spirit upon them, God. Touch their hearts, Lord God. Because I only have a word, but your Holy Spirit, you can do only that. Salvation is a work of you, Lord God. But I pray that the unsaved people will do their part to repent. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if that's you in this place and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come up and receive prayer from Joselito and Priscilla. You know, they, they, they will hear you out. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to bring you down. We're here to hear you and encourage you and say, hey, God, if you want to repent all the way through, God will forgive you. Amen. And then start walking in life the way Jesus has intended you to walk. Amen. We can do that. You can do that after we uh, recite our confession of faith. This is, we recite this confession, this creed, if you want to call it, because the entire church of Jesus Christ worldwide believes this. Pentecostals, Baptists, Evangelical. We all believe this. Amen. So I love this. Who loves this in here? Say amen. I know, I know there's quite a few people that love this. So let's, let's, let's recite this together, count of three. Uh, first of all, if anybody wants a copy in their hand um, to recite it on a piece of paper, if you cannot read it from the screen, still need glasses like me, um, we can give you a piece of paper. So anybody? No? Okay. All right, count of three. One, two, and three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life, and I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus, the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Everybody say amen. Hallelujah. Let's greet one another.
Show Praise International. It is so wonderful to see all of your beautiful faces joining us this morning. Thank you for coming. Our service is here at MPI. We have Sundays every week at 10 a.m. and Elevate every Friday at 7 p.m. If you know any teenagers, please let them know. And if this is your first time here visiting with us, please um, our ushers will get one of these brochures for you if you did not already receive one at the door. And if you could please fill out the little card and put it in the drop box, we would love to connect with you this week. Let's give it up for our first time visitors here this morning. We are happy you came to join us. Our vision here is very simple. We want to love God and love people. Say love God, love people. And then our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. And the way that we connect you here is through our life groups. Somebody say life groups. All of our life group schedules are in the back of your handouts. And we're going to give you a snapshot of just this week's life groups happening here at MPI. So today, Sunday, it's Single Moms Day with Child Care. Come on, make some noise. Single Mamas in the house. 5 o'clock. Addresses are uh, also on the back of the handouts. Wednesday, we have our King's Kids, infant to 11 years old. Bring your children here if they're in that age group, 6.30 to 8 o'clock. You can drop them off or stay with them. Uh, drop them off and stay, or you can leave and then come back. And then Friday, we have our adult Bible study. Make some noise. People that go there, they have child care provided as well. And then Saturday, our evangelism. Again, we want to keep encouraging you guys. If you have not gone street witnessing or preaching the gospel outside of the four walls, do that. They meet every Saturday at 5 p.m. Amen? And then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. And we use our 101 book, Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders in place ready to meet with you one-on-one -on -one according to how your schedules uh, collaborate because we want to get into your life. We want to teach you how to live for Jesus. And after the two, 101, we have the 201. Say 201. Disciples that make disciples. And the reason why we take mentorship so seriously is because we believe that every believer could be a leader if you want to be and God has called us to be that so we have to be good stewards of all that God has given us and so we want to raise you guys up to be leaders in the house of God and then we want to send you out we want you to go into the highways and byways to preach the gospel wherever you are so that we can win souls and our goal here at MPI is a hundred thousand disciples with 50 churches in Chicago and 500 around the world if you believe we can do that say amen this morning by God's grace, all things are possible. We believe that we are going to revolutionize this city because Chicago needs Jesus. How many of you guys believe that Chicago needs Jesus with all that is happening? Amen. If you could please turn with me to givingbook.org if you're able to do that on your phones. We're going to talk about tithes and offerings this morning. And we've been going through the Disciples Giving Book that is located on that website. If you don't have a phone that could take you there, you can simply look on the screen. And we're going to be reading from Luke 14, if you could turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 14, verses 42 through 44. We are on section 3 of this book, and it's talking about stewardship. Say stewardship. And we are on lesson 6 today. And the definition of stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. Everything. It's finances, our marriage, our family, other relationships, the church, our job. Everything 
uh, that God has given to us, we have to manage wisely. Amen? Let's read the passage of Scripture in Luke 14. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Somebody say he's returning. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Let's look at the main points of this passage that we can get off from stewardship. Number one, stewardship parables. Jesus used parables about servants and masters and bosses and employees. We could relate. Those of us that work, we're either a boss or we're the employee. Amen? And he used these parables to teach us that if worldly people, unbelievers, are rewarded for good stewardship, how much more will he reward us when we are wise in managing what he has given us. So if people in the world, us and our jobs, can be rewarded through our workplace, how much more is he going to come and reward us for what we've done? And I gave you an example last week about how I worked. I used to work at a bank, and I was in charge of making sure everything behind the teller line was in order because we would get audited every quarter. How many of you guys get audits on your job? So they would come in order. You would have to make sure that you wisely managed everything that you were responsible for. God is coming to audit us. You guys ready for audit? It's called Judgment Day, and we will be judged for every word and every deed that we have done. And so we need to be wise stewards right now here on earth until Jesus comes back. Amen? Think about that because we have to manage everything that he's given to us. Number two, wise stewards work when the master is gone. Key word there is work. Jesus taught that the wise steward is to be obedient and manage all of his possessions while he is in heaven. And so we have to work when the master's gone. While Jesus is in heaven until he comes back to take us, we need to be working here. We cannot be lazy. You know, we use, we use the story of the, parables of, the, uh, of the parable of the talent. There was three different people. One God gave ten talents to, five, and then one. And the one with the least amount of responsibility just buried it. And so I want to encourage you, let's not be lazy. Let's work. Even the little that we have belongs to God, and we need to do it according to his ways. Amen? Number three, put in charge all of his possessions. Jesus promised in all his stewardship parables that the wise manager will always be rewarded with more of heaven's treasures. So to whom much is given, much is required. To whom is given much, more, more will be given. Because if we are able to be responsible with what we have, we'll keep getting more. And if we're responsible with that, we'll get more. Amen? Summary. Be a wise steward with everything God has given you by keeping Jesus' commands. And to be wise means we have to fear the Lord. We have to follow his commands. Wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. And by obeying his commands, wisdom will come. And by being wise, we'll fear the Lord. It's a beautiful cycle. Amen? Let's apply this. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes. And your tithe is 10% of your total income. And be faithful in giving your offerings. And an offering is anything you give after your tithe. And that amount is between you and the Lord. So let's be faithful tithers and givers of offering. Number two, listen and obey Jesus' instructions concerning your finances. The, the one way to put a a big out-of-order sign on your finances is not to do number one. We need to have our finances in order. Our finances will be out of order if we do not tithe and give offerings because the Bible says we cannot serve both God and money. And if we're not tithers, then we're holding back from what God wants to us to freely give to him through obedience. 
And number three, be a wise steward that God, that can be rewarded with more of Jesus' possessions. How many of you guys want more from God? Let's be wise stewards with all that he's already given to us. And let's do it as unto him so that when he comes back, we'll be ready. He'll be able to say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. How many of you guys want Jesus to say that to you this morning? Come on, let's stand up to our feet and let's confess this confession together. There is power in our words. The reason why we confess things here is because we believe in the confession of faith and confessing the word because it breaks things over our life and it's a powerful thing. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in your tongue. So the words that you speak will be the fruit that you eat. Okay, so that's why we want you guys to confess this because it changes our heart. It changes our life. It changes our circumstances. Amen. On the count of three, one, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and our grandchildren. Amen. At this time, we're going to prepare to receive our tithes and offerings. And if you have not received an envelope, our ushers will get one to you. Simply on the envelope, we have designated a tithe and offering. Right now, we're collecting our missions offering. Somebody say missions. We are planning on taking a missions trip coming soon to the Philippines. And that is the pledge that we've been making. So for those that have made a pledge to the Philippines missions trip, continue to be faithful. We thank you all for your generosity, your faithfulness first to God's command so that we can see a city change for Jesus. Amen. And let's read, uh, let's recite Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your uh, faithfulness to us. And I pray, God, that all that you've entrusted into our care, that we would be wise managers, that we would steward all that you've given to us so that you could be glorified, so that you could receive the praise that is due your name, and so that when you return, we can be ready. So right now, as we give you our tithes and our offerings, as we are able to provide uh, the lights in this building and to reach this city, God, I pray that you would multiply it. I pray that you would receive the glory. Uh, bless and prosper your people, and I thank you for every giver in this church. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give this morning.
You guys ready for a hot topic? Awesome, awesome. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. Everybody, or excuse me, 2 Timothy. Everybody say Timothy. Thank you. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Today we're going to be talking about Jewish laws. We're going to be talking about how all the men have to be circumcised. Are men ready to be circumcised for Jesus? No, I'm kidding. I am kidding. We're going to be talking today about hot topics. It's our series for all of this month and September and partial of October. If you want to know the next one that's coming up, just like our website, uh, or rather our church on Facebook. It's uh, Metro Praise International. Find us there, and I'm always promoting the next series coming up. And does anybody know what next week's about? Has anybody skipped ahead to look at the, the little flyer? Alcohol. Who's saying alcohol? Don't be ashamed. You got it. Everybody say alcohol. Okay, so we're going to be talking about to drink or not to drink, all right? So make sure you come tomorrow or next week ready to learn about alcohol. It's going to be really awesome. Hey, and also the week after, a couple weeks after that, we're going to be doing one on drugs and addictions. And we just got confirmed that we are going to be having Teen Challenge here. Uh, so let's give it up for that. Teen Challenge will be coming for drugs and addictions. And we'll talk about how to break those off your life. And marijuana is getting to be really popular right now. We're going to talk about why marijuana is not good. No bueno for marijuana. We're going to talk about that. But maybe I spoiled it. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. So come next, come that time and find out. Bring all your stoner friends, you know. Bring them. Bring all your friends. Okay. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is the whole text for the series. I thought Pastor Jared did a great job last week. Can we give it up for him, Pastor Jared? Wonderful. Awesome. Here's the whole entire passage that I am trying to base off everything we're doing in this series. And if we can stay focused on this passage, we can understand the subjects we're discussing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, the one he raised up to leave to pastor the church of Ephesus. So this is a pastor that Timothy raised, uh, Paul raised up. His name's Timothy. And look what he says to him. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in the kingdom, I give you this charge. Somebody say, this charge. Thank you. Preach the word. Can we all say that together? Preach the word. Thank you. That's what he said. Remember this. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So what are the three components of a good sermon, a good pastor, anything we write or teach? What are the three components? Number one, we should always correct. Number two, always rebuke. And number three, always encourage. Okay, just to remind you, correcting is helping you get back on the right path. It's a gentle reminder. So let's say you're reading the word of God, uh, husbands, and the Bible says, you know, don't be harsh with your wives. And you might think to yourself as you're reading that, you know what, I was a little harsh to my wife this morning, I got to go and apologize. See, that's a correction. Young people, the Bible says obey your parents. And let's say they ask you to clean your room and you keep putting it off, putting it off. And God speaks that to your heart and you get gently corrected. The word rebuke, everybody say rebuke, thank you, is a harsher term and it literally means to stop. 
and that would be like a police officer pulling you over. Bam, you're in trouble. Stop doing this, you know. And God's word sometimes will command us to stop, you know. You're living in sin. You're having sex outside of marriage, pornography. You're using vulgar language. You're an alcoholic. You're abusing drugs or alcohol. And, and the Bible says, stop. Don't do that. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's very powerful. And some of us got to stop sinning if you're in sin. Can I hear an amen to that? And then the last part, which is so good. Everybody say encourage. Put a big smile on your face and say encourage. Just look at your neighbor and say, I want to encourage you. Now say something nice about them. Come on, if you know them, say something nice. Compliment the way they look. If you don't know anything else to encourage them with, just say, I'm glad you came this morning. I'm glad you're here. And the Bible says that it's going to take great patience and careful instruction. So everybody get this. Preaching the word is going to always involve correcting, rebuking, and encouraging, but it's not going to always come easy. You're going to have to be patient with people. You have to take your time to instruct people. And so if I was going to highlight a, a major portion of this passage and say this is what I'm really trying to do in this series, it would be that part right there. I am trying with great patience to get on the level of where this community is at, where our culture is at, and give biblical answers. So when we talk about homosexuality, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to yell at people and say God doesn't love them. I'm just trying to be patient with them and carefully instruct them. Okay? When we're going to be talking about alcohol next week, I'm not wanting to beat people up. I want to lay down what the Bible says. And I'll just skip ahead because we're not you know, really keeping secrets. We're going to talk about moderation. And yes, you can if you don't get drunk and if you don't abuse it, it's okay. Wine with the meal, whatever. But if there's people abusing it, I'm not wanting to beat them up because then the alcoholic will be afraid to admit that they are an alcoholic. That's like denial. You get it? So I want them to be able to come. And if they're struggling, if the, if the Bible's convicting them, I want to be careful with them. I I want to be patient with them. I want to help them. Is everybody hearing that today? When we talk about immigration, how many think I should be careful when I talk about immigration? Amen. I got to be careful when we talk about immigration. I want to be careful when we talk about these different hot topics. I just don't want to be known as a loudmouth preacher that everybody says, oh, that's what that preacher believes. No, I want to be patient and I want to show people in the Bible. How many people want to see these things in the Bible? How many want to see what the Bible says about these topics, right? Because the Bible should be instructing us. So this is, the, this is the passage. Every week I'm going to be reading this, and I want you to ask yourself, how is he doing? Now, we're going to show you on our Facebook page how to ask questions during this sermon. So if you go to Metro Praise International Facebook page, they're going to go there right now. You're going to be able to see on Facebook that I have a place for you to ask questions today about Jewish laws. And I'm actually going to write that out right now because I forgot to do it back there. So just look at your neighbor, maybe encourage them some more. Would you do that right now? Encourage your neighbor. Thank you. Questions about Jewish laws. Boom. See, by the time you get there, it's going to be right there. Awesome. I love Facebook. 
So why am I doing this Facebook discussion board? I'm doing this so that while you are here, if you're like, man, you know, I came up with a question while he was talking, and, and I, man, I don't think he hit on it. Ask me while I'm preaching, and when I get done preaching, I'm actually going to answer it and take my time. Now, here's the only thing. You can't be anonymous with it, okay? So I, I've already helped you. If you want to be anonymous, just say, my friend wants to know. Okay, my friend wants to know this question, and then we'll answer it. Boom, questions about Jewish laws. Tito liked it. Let's give it up for Tito. You're pretty fast, bro. You're pretty fast. Five stars. We want to keep, how many want to keep Metro Praise at five stars, amen? I don't know, like every week, like this becomes a promotion for our Facebook page. I don't know how that happens. Anyways, let's go back to our passage. You know how to do that. Okay. Now look at verse 3, because this is very, very important. Why should we be doing this? Because the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. You see, we're in a time right now, like Paul was talking about. He predicted this 2,000 years ago, that a time would come when people would not want to hear sound teaching. Doctrine means teaching. Do you think you're in that time right now? I mean, I really think we're in that time where people really don't want to put up with it. No, I don't want to hear what that church has to say. I'm not going to put up with that. I mean, even look at the translation there. Put up with. I don't want to put up with that. You know, people are now having children at the higher rate outside of marriage than within marriage. And if those people are here today, you may not want to put up with me saying that that's a sin. You may say, I don't want to hear that. I'll go somewhere else where they don't talk about that. Or you may hear something today that convicts you, and you may say, I don't want to put up with that. Well, the Bible actually said you would be here this morning. The Bible actually had your number already, sir, ma'am. The Bible said that there will come a time when they will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Come on, scratch your ear. Come on. Now tickle your neighbors. No, I'm kidding. I was going to say tickle your neighbors here. Give them a wet willy. No. Um, what, what does Oprah Winfrey do? Now, we're not picking on public people just because they're public. I'm just using them as examples because we would all know that, okay, as a teacher. So what does Oprah Winfrey do? What, is, what did she become famous for? She became famous for validating the need of the average American woman. She validated their needs. She heard the desires of their heart. She offered advice. She gave counsel. She brought on experts. But as you watched her show evolve, because we're from Chicago, and, and you know, we, we watch Oprah Winfrey, right? We were there. We were sad when she left. Maybe it was just me. That's okay. And and, and what happens? What, what, what did Oprah Winfrey stand for for the average American woman? Uh, she was going to affirm same-sex marriage. She was going to affirm that. What else was she going to affirm? living with somebody you're not married to. Does everybody know the story there, right? She's not married to that person. But yet, who's her biggest audience? Married women. And in her own life, she's what? Not married. But see, people didn't find a problem with that. Why did not people ever find a problem like, hey, Oprah, you're trying to help us married women and mothers do good things in life, but you're not married, no, you're a mother. How come nobody ever stopped and thought about that? Because, because she was saying what their ears wanted to hear. And so it really didn't matter what her background was, as long as when she came, she validated you, made you feel better, made your the audience feel better, give away some things. You walked away going, man, I feel good about myself. I, I feel great. 
And now there's the same kind of mentality, not just Oprah moving along from that, but there's this mentality in business, in the business world. Maybe you've gone to some of these company uh, rah, 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 shish, goomba meetings. You know, they'll rent out a convention center, bring in a couple great speakers and motivate you guys to do better. And, and the motivational message today is to do good for yourself to look inward and to find those things that motivate you and to be motivated by that so you can make others around you happy. But is that what the Bible taught? Did the Bible say look within yourself, find yourself, motivate yourself, do it for yourself? Is that what the Bible says? No, the Bible says deny yourself and put Jesus first. Look to God in his strength as your strength. Look to God in his word as your motivation and as your blessings are coming, give him glory. See, both people are already given talents by God. It's not like the self-motivated person is somehow uh, living outside of God's blessings. No, they're just foolishly thinking it's self that's doing it. You see, they were given a brain by God. They were given a self. The reason why they're not a dog today living in a backyard somewhere and they're actually a self with a conscience is because God created them in his image. Now, if they don't want to acknowledge that, that's to their own fault. But we as Christians have to say, I acknowledge I've been given strength, I've been given gifts and abilities, but I choose to not do it by my way, but to do it by God's way. For Come on, amen. For they will come together and find people that will say whatever their itching ears want to hear, they will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to miss. Everybody say miss. What is a myth? Something that's make-believe. It's not true. We see this like in our superhero. Spider-Man is a myth. Superman uh, is a myth. Uh, Transformers is a myth, right? So we watch these myths, we get entertained. But how many know that there are myths about Jesus? There are things that are not true, and there's actually imposters to the one real Jesus. So let's take, for example, somebody says this. Pastor, I've heard you preach in the Bible that God's going to judge us one day. And it says in the word that, you know, the Bible says he'll judge adultery, he'll judge sexual sin, he'll judge lying. But I don't believe that my God will ever send me to hell. Let's say somebody says that. What have they just done? They've made their make-believe God their God. They said, I don't believe my God is like this God, so I don't worship this God in the Bible. I worship this God that I just made up. And then they call it God. They give it a name. A lot of people in America still give it the name of Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. So what is that Jesus? That is a make-believe Jesus. That is a mythological Jesus. That is not the true Jesus. Like to give you an example, this first one that came to my mind, there was a movie out about Abraham Lincoln being a vampire slayer. Did anybody remember that? Okay. That is a mythological Abraham Lincoln. That is not the real Abraham. The real Abraham Lincoln wasn't going around killing vampires or being a vampire or whatever he was because, you know, I didn't watch that movie, all right? See, that's make-believe. But yet people in our culture will talk about, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in God. Don't you tell me I don't believe in God. And then when we start giving the words to them of God, they say, well, you know what? My God wouldn't do that. No, my God wouldn't say that. My God would not treat me like that. And by their own definition, their God is different by definition from this God. 
And we got to be careful. We're all not talking about the same God. Yes, I believe there's only really one God, but I don't believe we're all talking about the same God. I don't believe we're all truly living and obeying the same God. So how do we know the difference? We go to the Bible. Amen. But you keep your head in all situations. Does it say just keep your heart and your spirit in all situations? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm spiritual. Come on, I'm so spiritual. That's like our terminology. I go to yoga. I'm a vegetarian. I'm spiritual. But it says, no, keep your head. What lives up in your head? Your brain, your thinker. Keep your thinker, keep your mind, keep your brain engaged in all situations. Think about it. Don't just go with the flow. Just because Mac Lamore came up at the Grammys or the MTV Music Awards, whatever one it was, and talked about same love and everybody's pumping their fists and Queen Latifah comes out and she does a wedding ceremony of same-sex marriages and everybody's cheering. Just because it sounds right in a rap song, just because your heroes are promoting it, doesn't mean it's right. Stop the media. Stop the infiltration of their beliefs and put your head in that situation and think about it. He said to love him. God said, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, with your mind and your strength. So you have to stop and go, hold on. I, I love people, yeah, you know, same love. Yeah, I have the same love for this person I do for that person. Okay, I'm following you there. Equal rights, okay, everybody should have equal rights. But hold on, what, what are we saying now? We're saying we're changing marriage? We're saying we're redefining something? No, no, no. Just because I love you doesn't mean I rewrite the dictionary. Are you guys tracking with me? And I'm going to get to those more hot topics as we go on. We're just starting off with the easy stuff. Abortion was like foundational. We're going to get to some more of the controversial stuff that maybe even some of you here disagree with, right? And, and we need to understand, we got to put our head in that situation. So if I'm out at Belmont and Clark where I used to share my faith quite often, the Halstead area, and, and while I'm preaching, if somebody gets upset with me, just them getting emotional, saying, you don't understand where I come from, you don't get how I feel, that doesn't change anything. We have to detach ourselves from our emotions and our feelings. What if I just said to my wife, baby, I feel like I could have sex with more women than just you. I feel like my body is able to do that. Do you think that's a good thing for me to do as a husband? See, if adultery comes natural to me, what prevents me from having adultery? More than just feelings. See, this pastor will keep it real. Come on. Yes, I have feelings of adultery, feelings of attraction to other women, feelings that come like that. And I have to repent of those feelings, die to those feelings, and live for Jesus Christ and know who he made me to be. Just like I got feelings to slap somebody at times. Just like I got feelings to ram my car back up into their car in the middle of traffic. Don't you get kind of crazy feelings sometimes? Are your feelings always normal? I just wish I could have a feeling, uh, you know, projector on some of your brains and see what you be feeling during the week. 
I wish I could see what my, you know, what the, the cash register is feeling. You know, I want to know what the cash, no, the cashier rather. I want to know what people are feeling in the service industry. What does a Comcast, a service representative on that phone feel about me? See, we got some feelings, but we don't live by those feelings. How do we know the difference? How do we know what feelings to follow and what feelings not to follow? We keep our head in the situation. We don't just go on feelings. We keep our head there, and our head leads our heart. Good doctrine leads my life. Good doctrine, good teaching, not just my feelings. Anybody else want to be led by good doctrine? And it says endure hardship. See, it won't always be easy. It's not easy being a Christian in Syria and Iraq right now. They're enduring hardship because they don't want to bow down to the Islamic caliphate. They don't want to change their religion. They believe in Jesus Christ, and they believe he's the son of God, which is blasphemy in Islam. I have a book on Islam in the back. This is not ignorance. I'm speaking from knowledge. And they're enduring that hardship. So there could come a time, even in your life, where what you believe may actually cost you something. It may make your life difficult. It may make things harder for you. Sometimes we feel like when we come to Jesus, Jesus is promising us a yellow brick road. Like, oh, I'm a Christian now. Everybody's supposed to like me. I'm a Christian now. My boss is always supposed to give me promotions, days off, and vacations when I need it. I'm a Christian now. My parents and family are all to support me as I live for Jesus. Do you know how many times I have heard, especially even from young people, they have come to me and they said, Pastor, when I was out hanging with my friends, my, my parents were concerned, but they never really tried to stop me. They just knew that that was who I was going to be. And when I was out doing the different things I was doing, they were concerned, but they couldn't stop me. The moment I started coming to church, and then I came home and told them that I can't follow praying to Mary and to saints, now they forbid me from going somewhere. It was almost like, Pastor, that they were more concerned about me going to church than when I was running the streets. I've actually heard that. I'm telling you, it's the truth. Sometimes it may be hard, but what do we do? We do the work of an evangelist. He said, look at it, but you keep your head in all situations and do our hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Ministry means to serve others, to love others. An evangelist means to tell others the truth about God. Every one of you have a ministry. Every one of you have a duty to tell others about Jesus. So now, look at what he was saying from beginning to end. He's saying, you go out, you preach the word, you do these things. Don't get distracted by the others who don't want to hear it, and don't give up. So it's not just good enough for you to say, yeah, me and my four family, you know, me and my four and no more. We believe this. No, you've actually got to open your mouth now and share it with others. Hot topics have got to be discussed. America is a free nation built on that principle. I'm not saying you just interrupt your job and go, I want to make an announcement. I believe this and this and this, you know, and then you get fired and you come tell me that was Jesus. No, that wasn't. You didn't put your head in that situation, right? Don't blame that on me. But if 
there's a time to freely talk, and everybody knows on your job when there's times to freely talk, break rooms, before and after the work time, you know, you're clocking in, clocking out, you know, before, you know, you're hanging out either in the lobby or afterwards you guys are going to get something to eat. You know, during those times or your friendships with your family and uh, your neighbors, your community, you are to share these things. You are to tell them about Jesus. And, and that's how we show the love of Jesus, actually, is we don't just stay quiet. We actually show them how much we love them. Can I give you a difference between false love and real love? So I was um, at, a, at a conference about reaching Muslims as I was in, in seminary, and I ended up writing a book about Islam because I was taking these classes. And when I was there at this conference, these pastors were talking about how much they love Muslims. And we just can't, you know, always preach and argue with them. You know, we got to love them. And I was with them. I was like, yeah, you know, I got to do more things to reach out and to really let the, the Muslim community know I'm here for them. And then one pastor, he stood up and he was so proud of this. He said, let me just tell you guys how much I love Muslims. He said, there was a friend of mine. He, he was the leader of a mosque and their mosque had to be remodeled. And they couldn't meet there anymore. And he asked me if he could borrow the church so that he could have the mosque there on Friday and do their prayers. He said, I love those Muslims so much. I let them put the mosque in the church so that they could pray during their Friday prayers. You see, that's not real love. You see, that's not real love. See, real love would have said, I cannot allow idolatry into this church. See, that Muslim might have gotten offended. Oh, what do you mean, an idol? No, no, no. See, I don't put Mother of Guadalupe here, and we're not going to pray to Allah here either. It's the same concept. Oh, but that might offend somebody. Yes, but at least he would understand. We're not talking about the same God or God in the same way. There is a difference. In this place, by the donations of the people here, was built for Jesus. Jesus. Now, once again, somebody may say, well, Pastor, I don't like a religion like that. I want a religion that's like a buffet where we put Jesus here, we put Buddha here, we put Muhammad here, and we mix them all together. Just like you would have, you know, you go out to a buffet today, they're going to have a little bit of Italian sausage here, they're going to have some pizza here, they're going to have some tacos here. Has anyone ever been to a, 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 a buffet like that? Shout out your favorite buffet. One, two, three. Okay. Do, do, do they still have a Ryan's out here? Anybody know what Ryan's is? What's that one? Shooters? Anybody know about shooters? You know what I'm talking about, buffet. And some people want religion to be that way. But that's not what Jesus said. What would have been true love? Can I tell you what true love would have been? True love would have been, you know what? I can't offer you my church, but I can offer you my friendship. And I can share with you the things that I, I believe about Jesus. And while you're waiting for your building to get remodeled, why don't you come show up here on a Sunday and see what we do? You know, I want you to understand how we worship the God we believe in. So there's a difference. People want to say today there's not a difference. That's not true. Now, once again, I didn't say that was a government building because I believe in freedom of religion. I didn't say that that was on the job. I didn't say, I just said this example involved a church, and that church needed to stand for the truth. Are you all ready for the sermon today? That was just the introduction. Look at your neighbor and say, let's do it. Open up your Bible to Matthew 5. You're all crazy clapping. Matthew 5, this is taken primarily from a sermon we preached on during the time of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And the link is found on our notes. You can see the whole thing. So that is not my intention today, is to go through this whole sermon. But the notes are there. My intention today is to give back this Elvis DVD to my friend. I want to do that. Thank you, Ishmael. 
excuse me, and then I want to grab this stool, and I am going to relax a little bit. Is that all right? Let's see how it goes today if I chill out with you guys. Look at this scripture right here, Matthew 7, or Matthew 5, 17. Jesus is talking here about the law and the prophets and what he has come to do. He says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, which is a summarized way of saying the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the law, the first five, five books of Moses. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's called the law. And then all the other writings after that are called the prophets. Okay? So he says, I haven't come to abolish or do away with the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. Everybody say fulfill. Now, when we hear that word fulfill, it means to bring to the fullness. To bring to the fullness. So he is saying, I am not going to change the Old Testament. I'm just going to bring the Old Testament to maturity and to its fullness. So that everything you learned about in the law, everything you learned about in the prophets, will have its fulfillment in me. That's what he's saying. He says, for truly I tell you, verse 18, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the stroke of a pen, the least stroke of a pen, by any means will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Everybody say everything and then say accomplish. Thank you. So let me just skip ahead right here. Today we're going to be talking about like Jewish laws, things in your Old Testament. Your Old Testament's pretty big, isn't it? Have you ever noticed it's bigger than your New Testament? How many books are in your Old Testament? Do you know? 39. How many are in your New Testament? How many books are together in the Bible? 66. So there's 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And Jesus is saying here, I'm not changing even the crossing of a T or a dotting of the I from those 39 books until everything is accomplished. So there may be some changes that happen. But they're not changes that come from an incompleteness. They come from a completeness. So let me give you an example. Imagine your first grade teacher saying, we're not changing anything you're learning here. Everything is going to be based on this. But in second grade, they're going to change some things, not contradict, but they're going to change some of the information they're giving you based on what I gave you here. So you learned addition here, but you're going to learn multiplication there. Are you guys with me? You don't forget addition. You use addition and multiplication. You have to have it as a foundation, but you don't go from just learning numbers to multiplication. You go through addition, then the multiplication. Is everybody with me? God started us with an Old Testament. Then he gives us a New Testament. Is it contradicting? No, it's fulfilling. The New Testament fulfills the Old, and the New Testament is built upon the Old, the Old being fulfilled. Verse 19, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now look at verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Does anybody remember what a Pharisee was? Okay. A Pharisee was a Jewish teacher of the law who prided themselves in following all 39 books and everything that was taught in the Old Testament exactly. 
But here's what happened. Over time, their tradition changed the word of God. Over time, they began to manipulate the word of God to fit into their own man-made traditions. And by doing so, their righteousness was no longer valid. They did not receive a righteousness from the Bible. They were trying to work their way into heaven. And that is why Jesus says that unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you're not getting into heaven. So let me just pause right here. How did Pharisees not have good righteousness, which is the opposite? What is the opposite of righteousness? Wickedness, which we would say wrongness, right? Rightness means you're right. Wickedness means you're wrong. How did they do that? Through tradition. So let me ask you this. Is what you believe about God from tradition or from the Bible? See, that's what's going to make the difference. That's what makes the difference in our lives. How do you know what commands to follow and what commands not to follow? Now, just scroll through the notes, good sir, and let them see all the things I talked about in this message. What a testament was. It's the same thing as a covenant. There's four main covenants in the Old Testament before Jesus. There's one main covenant with Jesus when he comes. The law is considered these five books. And in there, there's found 613 commands of the Old Testament. Prophets are those who teach the commands of God. Keep going, number six. And now look at Jeremiah. Everybody turn there. Jeremiah chapter 31, chapter 31, verse 31, says in the Old Testament that God is going to bring about a New Testament. Is everybody tracking with me? So Jesus said, I'm not changing anything. I'm just fulfilling it. I'm not doing away with it. I'm just accomplishing it. So when we look at the Old Testament, is it, does anybody here read the Bible? Does anybody like the Old Testament? The book of Psalms? The book of Proverbs? Anybody hear some of these Bible stories? Daniel and the lion's den. Who built the ark? Moses or Noah? Who got the Ten Commandments? Okay. Who's the one that walked around Jericho till the walls fell down? Joshua. Who's the one who went to Mark, Mount Carmel and challenged the gods of Baal? Elijah, who was Elijah's assistant? Elisha, you guys are pretty good. What is the most longest prophetical book in the Old Testament? Jeremiah or Isaiah? Which one is it, Bible scholar? Jeremiah. His son's name is Jeremiah. Look at this passage as we're reading it from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a what? A new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So here you see in the midst of what we call the old covenant, the old deal, in the midst of these 613 laws that they base their life on, God begins to speak to these prophets and say, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to change it up, but I'm not going to contradict it. Look at what he says. It will not be like the old covenant or like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my what? Covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. What should we keep in all situations? Our heads. And what's in our head? Our mind. And write it upon their hearts. Look at this. I will be their God, and they will be my people. We don't have time to continue reading it all now. Keep scrolling down the notes, good sir, please. Number seven, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the determination, the main factor between the old and the new covenant. 
Now, if you go on down, fulfill and accomplish, I explain what it means that Jesus fulfilled everything, how he accomplished everything, and then how he gives an example through Paul that really the Old Testament was like our babysitter. Just look at it as it scrolls up there. Galatians 3.23. Before the coming of this faith, before Jesus came and we put our faith in him for salvation, we were held in custody under the what? Under the law. Locked up. They won't let me out. I'm locked. Uh, I lost you all on that. Come on, somebody say locked up. We were locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our what? Guardian was our babysitter until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So what are those 39 books of the, the Bible? They're our babysitter. They're to show us how far humanity has gone from God. But to get close to God today, do we go back into that Old Testament, follow all 613 of those laws? No. To get right with God today, we start with Jesus. And what did Jesus do for us? Pass the test. He passed it for us. He followed all those laws perfectly. And then what about all of our failures? He died on the cross for them. Preach it, preacher. Come on, that got me excited. Some of y'all giving me a golf clap. You're like, just clap for him. Just, that's what he wants us to do. You're not clapping for me. You're clapping for that heavy revy. You're not trying to go back into the Old Testament to not eat pork, lechon, because I was told you couldn't do that. You're not saying that you're going to go back into the Old Testament and we're going to check women's virginity by looking at the bed sheets after their wedding night, thank God. We're not going to ask grown men to get circumcised. We're going to go to Jesus. We don't need the babysitter. We need our parent. We need Jesus. Now, why does this matter so much? Why does it matter? Because now you get two wrong views of the Old Testament. The moment I say that, there's two wrong things that come up, and it's like you know, two ends of a stick, and the, both sides of the stick are wrong. The one end is lawlessness. Now people say, well, if, God, if Jesus fulfilled those 613 laws, there must be no laws. We're free. Do whatever you want. And this is what you'll hear from the community today. And you may not understand it because this is a tricky one. Some of you who are wondering, why is this a hot topic? I don't think about this. You may not realize it, but it is coming up in your discussions. For example, when we discuss homosexuality and we go to an Old Testament scripture, what is Piers Morgan going to say back to us? What is our friend at the job going to say back to us? Well, if you think homosexuality is wrong, why do you eat pork? What was Jack Black's little skit about? Jack Black did a little skit mocking us. There's a Christian saying, oh, homosexuality is wrong because Leviticus says so. And I should probably play this when we do the homosexual talk. And Jack Black comes out like Jesus with shrimp because you're not supposed to eat shrimp either. And he starts eating shrimp. And he's like, hey, guys, it's all did away with. You can eat shrimp. You don't have to be a virgin when you get married. And, of course, you don't have to stone people and consider homosexuality a sin. See, but what did they do by becoming lawless? They forgot. Hold, hold on. Jesus fulfilled it, though. 
Jesus accomplished it. Jesus didn't do that to contradict it. Jesus did that to give us a better understanding of it. When you look at the Beatitudes, Jesus says it like this. You've heard in the law, you've heard in these laws, don't commit adultery. Don't have sex with a married man's wife. And, and you could just hear all the Pharisees going, amen, that's right, we're not going to do that. But what does he do now? Does he contradict it or does he fulfill it? He goes further. He fulfills it. Now what does he say? He says, but let me tell you, I'm saying to you now, if you lust after a woman in your heart, that now has become equivalent to adultery. See, the Jews were thinking, well, if I just don't do this, I'll be fine in doing this. And Jesus was saying, no, I'm not erasing all of this. I'm telling you, I'm bringing all of this together to a whole nother level. What does he do with murder? He does the same thing with murder. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. How many know? Ten commandments. The Ten Commandments, by the way, is a summary of the 613. So if you're like, where does the Ten Commandments fit in with the 613? When Moses was up there, what, what God said to Moses was, take these ten down because you're going to blow everybody's mind when I give you 613. Just take these ten down and tell them this is the introduction. This is the table of contents. Okay? Then I'm going to give you the rest. Read the story. It's all there, Exodus. It's all there. Now, what is Jesus telling us about murder? He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But now I tell you, if you're angry with your brother and you call them raka, which means fool, right? He says, you're now guilty of murder. So did Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament make things easier and lawless? Or did he go deeper into our hearts? deeper and it shows our great need for Jesus not just laws because now where before we could have said like our friends well I don't murder anybody and I don't cheat on my wife now we can say to them hey but do you ever get angry with your neighbor and do you ever lust after someone who's not your wife good preaching pastor <laughs> you don't stop it no, but serious, serious. We feel like we're so justified because sometimes we don't do one of these 613 commandments. We're so smart. We're so holy. And Jesus is saying, no, unless you're coming to me, you're not holy. Unless you're receiving the faith and the righteousness that comes through me, you're not exceeding the righteousness of Pharisees. So just now keep that in mind as we scroll through this chart, and I'm going to end here in just a moment. Oh, come on. Just scroll down through here. So how do we know what Old Testament laws to keep in the New Testament? By obeying what Jesus and his apostles taught. So we go, how do I know what this applies to our life? Well, you know, how do I know what to do with this? We look at what Jesus taught. Take, for example, Mark 7, 19. The Jewish people were all about those commands not to eat certain kinds of food, shellfish, pork, etc. And that was from God, but now Jesus is going to take it to another level, just like he did with murder and adultery. And look at what he says in Mark 7, 19. He said, for it doesn't go into the heart, talking about food, but into the stomach, and then it goes out from the body. And then he said, but what comes out from the heart is adultery and anger and lust and perversion. 
So he was saying now there are some laws that it's okay if you eat and do these things, but you now have to remember what was the purpose of that law was to teach you to watch what you put into your heart. So when a Jew wasn't eating pork, he was learning not to put something into his stomach. Jesus says, I gave you that law so you would learn what not to put into your heart. Does everybody get that? He goes on and explains almost every law that way, or one of his disciples do. And let's go down to the chart, and we'll see if there's any questions. And I got all these things here. So let's take, for example, the Old Covenant was established in Exodus when they they left uh, Egypt. The New Covenant is at Jesus' cross, at the crucifixion. You see, in the Old Covenant, God is saying, I'm just choosing Israel to be my holy nation. In the New Covenant, he's saying all tribes, nations, and everybody can be my people as long as they believe my teaching. Does everybody get that? It's based on not how you were born like a son of Abraham, though God still loves the Jews and promises them Israel. We'll talk about Israel here as well. But he's saying my promises are for any nationality as long as they're born again. So if you come from a Jewish background, could you raise your hand and we'll just clap for you? Like two or three people, amen? If you come from a non-Jewish background, raise your hand. Aren't you happy for the new covenant? Amen. In bondage, we were in bondage to Egypt and sin. Now in the New Testament, it's really just sin. We're not trying to get a country. We're trying to live for God and get ready for heaven to come down. The Old Testament mediation was through Moses. Now it's through Jesus. See, that's why I don't need a priest today to be my mediator. Jesus is my mediator. Come on, can I give somebody another heavy revy? Come on. What are priests still doing in the church? Taking your confession of sin, offering you a certain holy communion, and they're thinking that that is what God told them to do. Why? Because they're still imitating things from the Old Testament. When you had to go to a priest to do a sacrifice, you had to confess your sin to a priest. But are we doing that in the New Testament? No. Who do I go to? Jesus. I don't need to go to Jesus' mother, his brother, his friends. Just give me Jesus. Amen. His phone line's always open. Somebody was like, well, if you can't find Jesus, go to his mother. And it was a cute bumper sticker. And I'm like, if you can't find Jesus, there's a problem because he's God. Amen. And I don't have time to get into all of these other ones, but it just keeps scrolling through the chart. These examples are here to show you, and I want you to go back this week, keep your head in the situation, go back and look at the notes and say, okay, why don't I do this, but I do this, and how does that work together? And just scroll down right to the bottom, please, uh, the last one. At the end of these laws right there, what is the connection with God? One is through a priesthood. Another one is the individual coming to Jesus. And now lastly, take some examples. Let me give you some examples here as you scroll down. Circumcision. Does everybody know what circumcision is? Do we need pictures or anything up here? We're all pretty good with that. Okay. If you don't know what it is, talk to your neighbor, all right? So look at this. Uh, Vinny, would you come to the keys, please, in closing? Look at this. Paul is talking in the New Testament. He says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. What is that slavery referring to? Not just sin, but it's referring to people trying to keep the laws to please God. Remember, Jesus said, your righteousness must be greater than the Pharisees. What were the Pharisees trying to do? Keep laws 
to please God. If you think Christianity is about you keeping laws to please God, you're in slavery. Because you'll never be good enough at keeping laws. But if Christianity to you is having faith in Jesus, then you belong to Jesus and you please him. Then from that heart, you keep his laws. Why? Because you have pleased him by coming to him. Do I try to enforce my laws on someone that's not my child? Do, do I go, just follow me here and take my word, I'm a nice person, okay? Do I go across the street and grab a child from the playground and say, don't you use that language, don't you? No, I don't interfere with that because that child is not mine. But when my child was born through Nancy, did that child have to do any work, good work, cut the grass, mow the lawn, say yes or no? Did they have to do anything to be my child? Or were they virtue of being born already my child? Right? When do we become children of God? By keeping a lot of commands or by virtue of faith in Christ being born again? Now, what do people, what do my children do in my house? They're taught my laws. They're taught my commands because they're my children. Why shouldn't you steal? Because you've been born again and you want to honor God's law. You're not, not stealing to try to become God's child. It will never work. You'll always be in slavery. Mark my words, Paul said. I tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, if you go down this road of trying to keep these laws, Christ will be of no value to you because you'll think in your mind, quote, unquote, I'm a good person. Isn't that what people say all the time? Thank you, sir. Mm. Thank you. Am I really sweating that much? I can't really take off anything else. This is about as, as cut back as I can come, and I am still sweating, I guess. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Could you imagine me in a suit? That would be a mess up here. I'd be just a mess. But look at what he says. Christ would be of no value to you. Why? Because there are quote-unquote people walking around going, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I know I'm going to heaven. Well, how do you know you're going to heaven? Because I'm a good person. And then what will they name off to you that makes them a good person? I keep all these commands. And what does Jesus say? Your righteousness is just like Pharisees. You're never good enough doing that. And that's why Paul said, if you're going around thinking, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, and you're doing that on your own, Christ is really of no value to you. Do you wash your car and then bring it to a car wash? If you could make yourself clean on your own, would you need Jesus? So for people to become Christians, everybody has to come admitting, I need Jesus because I'm not a good person. I may not be as bad as the other person. That may be true. God is not saying we're all equally Hitlers and mass murders. No, but you still are not a good person compared to who? Him. That's why he fulfilled the law and died on the cross for you. And then he said, I declare to you, if you try to be circumcised, you're obligated now to what? Obey the whole law. So you're going to think you're good because you did one thing? Okay, get ready to do 613 things. He says, for you are trying to be justified by the law. You're going to be alienated from Christ. He says, you have fallen away from grace. Don't fall away from grace, saints. For through the Spirit we eagerly await 
by faith the righteousness in which we hope for. For in Christ Jesus is neither circumcision, for in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Can we stand to our feet and give the God of love a hand clap today? Come on, if you love Jesus. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? So here's some questions that I'm going to answer in closing as everybody's standing up and we're getting ready to leave. Some questions, if anybody asked them, I'll check them out right here. Uh, one person asked the question, the Israel that the Bible speaks about, is this the Israel of today or is there a difference? That's a good question. Some people think that Israel is no longer the nation of Israel, but we, the people of God, are Israel. I believe that Israel still is the Jewish people by birthright from Abraham. And the Christians are working alongside of them to bring God's kingdom. And Jews should be believing in the Messiah. The sad thing is if they don't believe in the Messiah, even though they may be working towards having Jerusalem and these things, they'll perish without Christ. So you can see this in Romans chapter 11, that Israel and non-Israel work together for the things of God. Another question. Do Jewish people still have to follow all 613 laws? That's a great question, and no, they don't, but they can still be Jewish. Hey, can I give you a revelation? Jesus was Jewish. All the disciples were Jewish. So what do Jewish people do today? They do just what Gentiles do. They follow Christ in the new covenant. And how do they keep their Jewish nature? By being in the birthright of Abraham, just like she's still Greek, even though she's not Greek Orthodox. So Israel is still of a birthright of a nation coming from Abraham. That offspring is going to be here and reign with Christ. But they have to accept Christ. The Jewish people who are still Jews today but don't accept Jesus as their Messiah, they're not going to heaven unless they do. And, and by the way, that's all the people Jesus was talking to. That's when Jesus said to Nicodemus, he was a Jewish leader, he said, unless you're born again, old Nick, you can't get in. So what do we say to Jewish people today? You know, be born again, follow the Messiah. So they're waiting for him to come, but we believe he's already come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today. Oh, Lord, would you just thank the Lord for coming and dying on the cross for your sins? Right now, if you're thankful to be in a new covenant where you have direct access to God through Jesus, would you thank him for that? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. If you've already been born again and you've come to Jesus, would you thank him for being born into his family now? that you are one of his. He is your father. The, the father is your father. The son is your savior. The Holy Spirit is your helper. Would you just thank him? We thank you, Lord, for salvation today. And now lastly, if either you have not been born again or you know someone that's not born again, would you pray right now? Pray for those you know that are not born again to do so, that they would accept the righteousness of Christ exceeding that of the Pharisees. Or if you're here today and you've been trying to do the rat race of good works for salvation, just confess your sins right now, the places you failed, and ask Jesus to save you. Right now, everybody should be praying either for their own salvation or for the salvation of others.
Come on, may eyes be open this week. May our friends and family see what Jesus did for them. And may every person here accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I pray that every person here will admit that Christ and his righteousness is the only way of salvation. Not being in bondage, not trying to do better, but being made a new creation. And would everybody just confess it with me? We're just going to say a prayer together just as a confession. Say this with me, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for fulfilling all the Jewish laws and making me a part of your family. Today I am born again. I am the righteousness that you sacrificed your, yourself for. And because of that, I will keep your commands. Lead and guide me all the days of my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's bless them one more time, saints. Today we're going to close out by singing a song. If you would like to stay in worship or receive prayer, you can. But we're just going to dismiss. And I'm going to ask that Jessica would pray for us. Father God, I just thank yes. you for your word today, oh God. I thank, pray, you, God. I thank you, God, that you showed up uh, in the worship, oh God. I, pray, yes. I just thank you, God, for who you are, for giving us uh, the truth in your book, oh God. I just pray that we live it um, throughout the, the week, throughout the days of yes. our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on one more time. And can you slap your neighbor high five and say, love the God of love. Come on, love him back today because he loves you. Have a wonderful week. And we'll see you back here or at Life Groups. Come on, sing it, man. Oh, Woo. This is the after party if you want to stay. Oh, how he loves us. It's just you and oh, Jesus. How he loves Amen. Come and receive prayer for anything if you he need it today. Loves Jesus loves oh, us. Oh, how he loves Oh, yes, he does. If you want to get off the rat race of trying to be good enough, just surrender your life to God. Love Jesus today.